Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. Like John said, we're really glad that you guys are here to uh, worship with us uh, this morning. Um, it feels a little early uh, to me. My alarm went off this morning, and I, uh, I was in a, a peaceful bliss and realized that there was music going on. And you know, like sometimes like that becomes your dream and everything, and then in reality hit, it's time to get up and I'm not ready yet. And so if you're like me today, we're just kind of trying to get maybe some of the, the cobwebs off as we spring forward. It sounds so positive. Spring forward, but it seems like we're kind of limping forward. At least that's how I feel. But we're really glad uh, you guys are with, uh, here with us. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called God and Politics, and we started a couple weeks ago. And the tagline for the series is a perspective for a pivotal time. And that's really what we're doing in this series is looking at uh, the key things to think about and the key things to, to kind of see as we go through an election season. And it's really easy to get caught up in the emotion of this time and all the things that we hear on the media, all the things that we, we see on the news and all sorts of things. It's easy to just kind of get swept up in the emotion of politics, up in the emotion of the election. But what does actually God have to say about this time of year and, and all these issues that people are talking about, all the things that, that we get exposed to uh, in the culture and in the media. And if you're a Christ, Christ follower, part of our role is to always be learning what God wants us to do in the different situations that we face in life. And you find that the Bible is actually very specific. It gives a lot of perspective. It gives a lot of help. It deals with our attitude. It deals with our actions. And just like the area of work or just like the area of family, uh, there's also things that we need to do and not do in the area of, of politics. And that's what we're, we're looking at. Uh, I started as a disclaimer for the series saying that this is not a pep rally for any sort of candidate. Uh, we're not supporting any specific one, but really taking a step back and saying, what is it that God actually wants us to do and how does he want us to think? And how do we actually do that for ourselves, realizing that our own convictions and our own conscience is something that you actually have to form yourself. It can't come from anyone. Your parents can help you. Uh, you can learn in classes. But ultimately, we all have to decide what we believe and why we believe it. And so we've been taking a look at what does the Bible have to say about this very important area. And we kicked off the series talking about Ultimately, the best way to think as a Christ follower is that you can't put your hope in any princes or any rulers or any politicians. Your ultimate hope has to be in God himself. Because politicians come and go. They're elected. They're not elected. They're alive. And then they're de dead. And so there's a sense in which God is bigger and greater than even the people that, that are put in power. And so we want to place our hope uh, in him. Last week, we talked specifically about how a government functions best when it lines up with God's reality, God's truth. And in, as history shows, countries that actually line up with the way God says to do things, they, they actually can receive blessing. And it's the duty of Christ followers to, to work and to influence so that things that are right and just for all uh, can happen in a society. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, and that is the privilege we have to influence uh, the government for good. And that means certain things that, that we do, certain things that we pray for, certain things that, that we don't do. And so we're going to kind of unpack that and look at what, what's our, our role supposed to be uh, in the society in, in which God has placed us. 
I want to start by just kind of looking at two approaches that, that Christ followers have. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ and you're investi- investigating Christianity and maybe you've been trying to figure out kind of this area of politics, what that means for you if you decide to, to follow Christ and how does that all work. And so this uh, message today will give you a little bit more of what is a Christian's role and how do you do it well in a way that pleases God and, and benefits others. And there's two approaches. First is when you begin a relationship with Christ and you decide to follow him, at that instant, your your eternity changes. Uh, you, You go your own way in sin, but when you decide to follow Jesus Christ, you actually turn away from your own way and decide that I don't want to just live my life for myself and live it my own way. I actually want to live life God's way. And his ways now trump my ways. His opinions trump my opinions. The minute you do that, the minute you decide to follow Christ, you now are a part of this eternity that God has now brought you in. And it's his kingdom and his rule that goes on forever. And so your very eternity is changed. What's happened through history is because people see that their eternity has changed, uh, they have an approach in the society in which they live like just, just passing through. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm just passing through. This home is temporary. I'm only here for a short while but my real home is in heaven where, where God will be the ruler. And so that's one approach people have. As politics comes, it's just the sense of I'm just going to take a step back. I'm going to let things unfold. And I'm not going to really engage because I'm, I'm just passing through. There's a second approach specific to people in the United States. And this country was actually founded on biblical principles by many godly men. And it's considered or was considered a, a Christian nation. And so there's some on the other side that they're not just thinking passing through, but they see America as it's God and country. In fact, we wrap the American flag around the cross. And there's a sense in which the kingdom of God and the United States are kind of merged into one. What you find from both those approaches is that they lead you into different directions depending on how you see it. If you're just passing through, again, you're not going to really engage because it's temporary. If you think the flag is around wrapped around the the cross, then as our nation begins to kind of go away from God's ideals and goes away from a Christian worldview, you can find despair because the flag has always been wrapped around the cross. And so when that begins to separate, you're not sure what to do. And both of those lead to, to different results. What you find in Scripture, though, is actually not either of those extremes. And it's actually a little, a little bit of both. And the first thing is, is as Christians... We actually have a purpose for life here and now. And if we didn't, if we were just passing through, then really the meaning of life right here is lost. We disengage. We give in to apathy. If we're just passing through, we actually miss our responsibility, our duty, and even the good life here and now that God wants us to experience. The other side is true, too. While that's the case, if we actually need to find meaning here on earth through a relationship with God and have a role to play, then we actually can influence the society in which we live. And that's how God has always placed people. He's put them in countries. He's put them in nations. He's put them in people groups. He's put them in culture, always with the goal to walk with God in it and then to influence those around them for good. And that's really a Christian perspective that you find again and again in the scriptures of the people that God has placed in the societies in which they lived. So I want to talk a little bit about 
uh, the people of Israel, because again, historically, uh, the situations we find of people trying to be under leaders and sometimes foreign leaders and governments that were trying to obey God and governments that were trying to disobey God, you get such a mixed bag that it's actually helpful to look at the scriptures and see how did people respond to the various environments that they found themselves in politically. Because that's what we find every four years, every two years, depending on what elections and what things are happening, things change and they can be topsy-turvy. And you can just ride that emotional roller coaster. But as you read the scriptures, you find that this is actually nothing new. Maybe you're perplexed by this time of year. Maybe you're stressed out. Maybe the fear of the unknown can overwhelm you. But what we're facing is, is actually nothing new. People who've walked with God have had to face these sorts of things throughout history. And I want to share uh, from the book of Jeremiah this morning, specifically for the people of Israel as they were under Babylonian rule. And the Babylonians were a nation that did not worship God. They worshiped false gods. They actually didn't care anything about what, what God thought. Uh, they were barbarians. And we don't really have kind of a sense of barbarians here today, uh, but they're ruthless. Uh, they didn't really care about life. Uh, they cared about power. They cared about control. And it was just a detestable place for the people of Israel to be in this environment because it went against the very framework for how God had made them and their picture of what they were going to do. But they were under this rule because it was actually part of the judgment from them turning away and not following God. And so they're under this Babylonian rule, which is part of God's judgment. But in the midst of that, all the hope wasn't gone. And they had specific instruction that they were given of how they're supposed to act in this environment. Now, that begs the question, is Alex saying that we are living under barbarians right now? I'm glad you asked that question. No, not necessarily. Things could actually get a lot worse. And you never usually want to build a sermon on as bad as it is, it could get worse. We're glad you came today, right? That's not that hopeful. But the sense is it can get worse. It can get better. But we don't know. We have to trust God, not the circumstances, because circumstances always change. And so I want to give you just this this passage of Scripture that kind of gives the framework of of what we're supposed to do. And what you find is God plants his people in nations to seek the good of the society in which we live, to seek the good. And we're going to find that in this passage. And it says this on the screen. It says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. So this is, again, in Babylon. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. They may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. There's a few things in that passage. And the nature of the first part is the sense of you have to continue to live your life. And you can't shrink back from doing what God has commanded you to do. See, God had commanded the nation of Israel to to be be fruitful and to multiply. In fact, he's given that to all of creation. It's, It's the great mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. But sometimes if you find yourself in precarious situations and under leadership that's foreign and in this stressful situation which the people of Israel found themselves, there's a sense in which you just want to stop living life and you shrink back 
and you give in to fear and you give in to stress and the unknown unknown overwhelms you. And so this first part is in this encouragement, like live your life, find your purpose, do what I have commanded you to do. Do not shrink back because I am the God. I am the Lord that leads you. And this is what God is telling his people. So there's a tremendous amount of, of this challenge and encouragement meant to give them like this, this courage that despite what they're facing, they can live the life that God wants them to live, even in this land that is foreign to them under foreign leaders. But it wasn't just about their life and their own welfare. And then it goes on in verse 7. It says this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, that's not talking about like a welfare check. That's talking about good, a good life, a good society. It's going well. But it's very interesting. This verse 7 could have been left out. And it would have very much changed God's purpose. Because he could have just said, be fruitful, be multiplied, get married, have kids. Live life. But instead, it says, have purpose, do what I've commanded you. And then there's another commandment. This is verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city. So it's not just consider your own life. Not just consider what you want to do or the good that you think you should do, but seek the good of the city in which you live. There's a tremendous amount of purpose in there that's saying we need to engage. We need to love people. We need to take care of our responsibilities, realizing that we're not just an independent person serving an independent God. We actually serve the God of Israel the one God, the one true God. And because of that, he wants us to engage in a way that people see he makes a difference in all of life. Imagine these group of barbarians that are encountering the people of Israel who serve God and see the way that they're living life and to see the hope that they have. What a tremendous testimony that would be. You could imagine they're just seeing these people like, they're like our prisoners, they're like our slaves, but look, they... Their families are growing and they seem happy and they're busy doing what their God has told them to do. You can imagine just what tremendous influence that has. And part of what God did and he still does today is part of how you seek the welfare of the city is not just seeking the city outside of your framework of following God. But you relate to the people in the city, you relate to the culture Within your framework of following God. In fact, that's the very way that you relate. That's the very way that you act. That's the very way that you think. So this passage is saying, as you seek the welfare of the city, you're doing that as somebody who follows God. You don't do it based on your own opinion. And for Christ followers here today, again, it's like what we talked last week. One of the main things that we can do is we have to learn what God's ways are. And you learn that from reading the scriptures. And as the scriptures become your compass for life, they set direction, then you're actually seeking the welfare of the city in a way that honors God. Because he's given us purpose to all of life. And so when we live life his way, it actually seeks the good of the entire society in which that we live. In any society, 
uh, there are gatekeepers that are in place, which are the laws of the land. Now, I don't know what the laws were in Babylon at the time. But I could imagine the Israelites were just trying to figure out, okay, how do we seek the good of the city when they have no framework for the life that we're supposed to live and they don't serve the God that we serve? You could find yourself asking the same thing today. But part of what you do as a follower of Christ who allows God to lead you and he rules you and he allows you to kind of navigate through life is you realize, okay, I, I, I can influence those around me by pointing to what is true and pointing to what is real. So as people interact with me, they're getting a little bit of a picture of who God is. That's always the role of a Christ follower. And so in any society, there's this gatekeeper that they have of laws. And the laws are saying, do this and don't do that. And if something is legal, then pretty much in a society, it's okay. And so one of the main ways that you can seek the good of the society is to try to influence the government and influence the society to sustain the laws that protect life for everybody. And that is a benefit to everyone. And then verse 7 goes on, and not only do you do that through your influence, but you actually pray for the city as well, or the society in which you live. So there's a sense of you're not detaching yourself, and you're not getting your identity in your country. Your identity and loyalty is ultimately to God. But because of that, you want the society in which you live to represent the things that please him. And that's not always the case. That's not always true. And that's why back to week one, you don't place your hope in politics. You place your hope in God. Because as politics change, God does not. And so seek the good. There's this, this idea of like we, we have to be active. We have to influence our government to, to try to match up again with, with God's views of things. Because that is the best way a society functions. There's also another part in, in verse 8 and 9, which is really talking about discernment. It's, it's advice. And it's saying as you seek, as you seek the, the welfare of the society in which you live, and as you try to do good, not just detach or apathetic or isolated, but as you seek to do good and as you seek to influence, you need to have wisdom. And the passage is going on to say, make sure you know the motives and the beliefs of the people that rule you and will lead you. And this is what it says. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, in our day and time, if we were to translate this to, to politics, it, it basically means you need to be informed you need to know a candidate's position. And even over that, you actually need to know your own position based on what the scriptures say. And so there's a sense in which you have to be a researched person. You have to do your due diligence. And so there's this, this discernment piece, this, this wise piece that, that's saying, need to know that the people that are in power, where do they stand? And don't trust the idea of the dreams, don't, don't trust what they say. You actually need to trust what they do. Now, if you put that into politics, doesn't that change the way you see it? 
Because it actually doesn't matter what people say. Because in this picture you get, well, this is a dream. This is what we need to do. But ultimately, what do people do? What is it that, that, that they really believe? And you want to know what somebody believes, you watch what they do. That's always how it is. Because our perspective and our values, what we believe, it impacts our behavior. We never get to a point in which we act and it, didn't, it wasn't fueled by what we thought. You ever realize that? You ever done something and you've like really regretted it? And you've asked yourself, why did I do that? Like it just came out of nowhere. And you kind of have to trace it back. And you say, why did I do that? Why well, I, I was kind of stressed out. Why are you stressed out? Well, I'm kind of tired. And why are you tired? Well, I, I stayed up late and watched Netflix. Why did you do that? Because I really wanted to relax. Why do you want to relax? Because I'm stressed out. You see, anyone else like think like that? It's really hard because a lot of times it's easier to say, where'd that come from? I don't know. It, it was weird. I walked through the door and it just was there. There's always things. There's always these views that we have, our attitude, our values, our perspective, what we think is important, what we think are priorities, how we think life works. These all influence what we do. So in the realm of politics, that's what we're always asking. Why are people doing what they're doing? That's a great question. So as you're engaging and trying to figure out where people stand on the issues, what you always want to ask is, why did they do that? It may frustrate you and drive you nuts. But it's a great question. Why did they do that? Why did that make sense to them? And you ask yourself the same thing. Why did that make sense to me? Why did I lash out in this way? Why did I help this person? Why did I not help this person? I always ask that question. Why did that make sense to me? This is part of what it's saying. It's, you actually need to ask God for help for discernment. Discernment is actually knowing where people stand on things. And we need God's help to do that because it can be very unclear. But it helps if you start with what people do, not with what they say. Does that make sense? So I want to shift gears. I want to specifically talk about how to influence the government for good. Now, last week I mentioned this, and this question begs a lot of other questions. And we're a mixed bag in this room, and there's some of you which this time of year is probably one of your favorites. Like you are up on all the debates. You may, on Twitter, you're finding all the quotes, and you're, you know all the polls, and like you're fired up. And so you're, you're politically engaged in every way, okay? There's some of you that you're like, is a Bush still running? Like, I'm just going to take a vote, like, or a Clinton. And actually, like, you'd be right, but even without being clueless, you know? But the sense is you, you, you just, you're not engaged. It just feels like it's this, this yarn that's just tangled and issues and candidates and parties they're all in this just tangled mess and if you've ever gotten a string and it's all tangled you think i'm not going to undo that i throw that away that could be your view of politics it's not something you try to untangle it's not something you engage in you toss it you don't want anything to do with that some of you may be on the you know the other end which you like to be engaged but you don't necessarily want to have to do the research you just want somebody to tell you what to do I sometimes fall in that. I try to find the people that do the research, and then you just tell me what to do so I don't have to do it. 
work smarter, not harder. That's what I say. Actually, just means I'm ignorant, but I have someone else that's telling me what to do. And you could be that too. So all this is, is supposed to kind of cut through various engagements that you may have or various hiccups or concerns. And what we've pulled is what is really the, the bottom line things that we can do to engage and to influence for good. If that's what God wants us to do, to seek the welfare of the city, of the society in which we live, how do we do that? So this list is not completely exhaustive, but these are the main big rocks. And by sitting here today, it doesn't mean that you have to walk out here and start with all five. I don't expect you guys to just grab a clipboard and just get your petitions and let's go. You have to really just figure out where you are. You have to figure out what you actually believe, why you believe it, and then what might God want you to do. And so just want you to wrestle with this as, as I look through it, okay, or as I walk through it, sorry. First thing, how to influence the government for good is to vote. Anyone remember rock the vote? You guys remember that? It's like, it's like how do we get young people to vote in an election? Let's just put rock in front of it and have bands that say vote. And you know what? It actually was successful because I remember it. And I remember like, yeah, like when I'm old enough to vote, I'm not going to vote. I'm going to rock the vote. And I look just like that. Crazy eyes. Like, I don't know what it means, but I'm going to rock it. Right? Rock the vote. And you all just like every vote counts. You know, you, you hear that. You're like, no, it doesn't. I live in California. The election's over before I even vote. Is that just me? But I'm going to rock that vote that I think doesn't count. But voting is actually the primary way you can influence the government for good. Now, I'm not a great, you know, politician that's going to be just, you know, four score vote. You're supposed to like, you know. That'd be the worst campaign speech ever. A little Lincoln, rock the vote in there. But, but the, the idea is you actually can't have influence, really, without casting this privilege that you've been given, which is the right to vote. And whenever you vote, you're saying this is important to me and this is the direction that I would like our country to go. In terms of engagement, it's one of the least things you can do. It's actually very minor. It doesn't take a lot. And you get a sticker. Right? But for the Christ follower, it's more than just rocking the vote or getting out to vote. We're actually supposed to vote our conscience. And that is we are voting in a way that makes God happy. That's what that means. We want to vote in a way that this will please him. And to vote our conscience means we actually need to know What a biblical worldview is so we can vote according to what makes God happy. So you need to know the scriptures again. To vote your conscience and to do it in a way that honors God means you, you need to know his views of things. Because as you cast the vote, as a Christ follower, that should influence everything that you do. Your loyalty is to him first and foremost. And because of that, you want to vote in a way that will please him, the God who we follow. So it begins... You have to form your conscience correctly. You need to allow the scriptures to fill you with what's true and what's right and what's pleasing to God. Second part of voting 
is then you need to know what a candidate believes and what they think. Because what you're always asking as a Christian is, does this candidate's view and what makes sense to them, does that align with what the scriptures say? And that's where it gets a little tricky. Because now you're asking, well, how do you find out what a politician actually thinks? Have you ever tried to grab a fish? I went fishing a few years ago, and, you know, you just get it in your hand, and it just kind of just wants to get back to the water, just slips right out. Sometimes that's how, how it feels as you're trying to get, like, a candidate's position, right? You always feel like that. Like, I, I can't know it. But there are some resources uh, where you can know how a candidate feels about a situation. You can find resources that tell you about a candidate's voting record. You can find resources that tell you what they've said and and what what they've done. One of the primary ways you can do that is a candidate's website. However, a candidate's website is their website, if you know what I mean. And I think you do. You don't exactly know what's true because they're going to just want you to see what they want you to see. But there's a couple other websites that I want to give you. Um, I think I've got a slide for that. Websites showing where candidates stand. The first one is 2016election.procon.org. Now, procon.org is a nonpartisan website. I am not endorsing. Man, I sound like a candidate. I do not endorse procon.org. But I really don't. Because it's looking at the pros and cons of, of different issues. But... This 2016 election-specific website that they have is really just – they've gathered all of the candidates' views on social issues, um, lots of various uh, ideas about the economy, lots of social things. And it's it's just a helpful place to look at all the candidates that are running. And it's nonpartisan, and so it's helpful. The one below it, Political Plumb Line, is is just begun from uh, actually a, a friend of mine. He put this together, um, and it's more conservative. And the reason I know that is because so far he only has the Republican candidates on there. <laughs> so take that for what it is. But if you're interested in learning where a Republican candidate stands, and what he's done is he said, what, what have they said in the past, and what do they say now? And is there a dissonance? And they're trying to track, like, how much has their position changed through the years? Another thing he's measured is what they've said – Versus what they've done, and that's the plumb line. He's measuring, again, what they've said versus where they've done. Is it, is it off? And so that's just the way you can kind of see a snapshot of some of the major issues. What, where have the candidates stood? And where do they stand right now? You get the sense that you have to put work in. You do. But to vote with your conscience means you're an informed voter. And I'll be honest with you. I, I, this is something I need to work on myself. I've not in the past always been an informed voter. I've gotten swept up in popularity contests. I've got swept up in just what I'm told I should think because of who I am or different media or, or whatever. But if you can become an informed voter, you actually become an empowered voter that can vote with your conscience based on the issues and what you actually know. So I encourage you to do that. The second way to influence government for good is to communicate with our representatives. Now, some of you may be like, I have actually done that. I have signed a petition and sent an email 
to a senator or to a representative or even to a political candidate. I won't ask you to, to raise your hand, but some of you may have done that. Others of you are like, like, what? You communicate with these people? But you actually can, and there's actually a biblical basis. It's amazing in the history of people who follow God how many Christians actually were face-to-face with the rulers in which they live. It's crazy the amount of times God put them in these positions. I'm going to read a little excerpt from the, the book of Acts where Paul, who was a persecutor of Christianity, and then God saved him, and now he became a missionary for Christianity, he was arrested for his faith. But he was face-to-face with the leader of the time named Felix, and this is what it says. Put it up there on the screen. It says, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So Paul had this snapshot of time, and it happened to Paul quite a few times, where he was brought before this leader with tremendous power. And he was able to share his faith in Jesus Christ. And in this passage specifically, we don't know exactly what he said, but he talked about what it means to be self-control. He talked about righteousness. And there's a sense of the judgment. And you don't know how it exactly went, but the response is interesting. Whatever he said, it gave great pause. And it's like, all right, thank you. You can go now. And you don't know what he was thinking. But there was an impact that was made. And Paul, Paul did that. He took an opportunity. Now, I've actually never been face-to-face with a politician where I've just been able to, you know, I want, let me tell you about self-control, righteousness, and the coming judgment. And, you know, they shake your hand and you just don't let go. Just hold on here a sec. Now I got you. Never had that happen, Right? And that would be kind of freaky if I did, and I think that's why secret services is where they are, right? But there are ways that we can communicate with the leaders without it being face-to-face. And you can always contact them through the email on their website, through phone numbers. But there's also organizations, uh, you know, Christian organizations that also help you know that, you know, as a Christ follower, here's a vote that's coming up on an important issue. Or here's a petition that you can sign. And it kind of helps you know how to increase your involvement and how to communicate with those people in power. And I've listed them here on the PowerPoint, and it's also on the back of your paper. But uh, the American Family Association, the Family Research Council, the American Center for Law and Justice. You can sign up for updates. And when I say sign up for updates, they will update you. They will. What they're saying is, You want to be informed, we're going to inform you. And you can get like a barrage of it. And some of the time, it can get your emotions going. The headline, you know, just this headline, you're like, okay, they're in the business of they want you to open emails. They want you to sign up for the things that they've said. They have an agenda. But the agenda is to inform and to empower people. And so you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. You can't get swept up in the fear. You can't get swept up in the emotion of it, but you can read the email and find out what's happening. And then you could decide, you know, I need to, I need to sign this or I need to communicate this. 
I need to let my voice be heard. And so these organizations just, we will help you get your voice be heard. So you can sign up for those. You can sign up for all three. You can sign up for one. Test it out. For me, it's helpful. It's just how I can stay up to date. And then I can communicate with their help. So just just a heads up on that. The third, uh, carry on reasonable conversations. And this is not with a government leader, but this is where with with each other. So if, if God's put us in the society to work for the good and the welfare of it, that happens most of the time relationally as we relate with other people. Now, if you are a person who has strong convictions and you really believe what you believe, it's easy for what I call to get fired up about what you believe. And you know you get fired up because as an issue is raised, you kind of find yourself, oh, it's, the blood's starting to boil a little bit. And you, you, get, you get excited, like, I've got to let people know what I think and I've got to let people know how they're wrong and why I'm right. And that can happen. And there's some of you that think, as soon as politics gets brought up, it's like, I'm out of here. Let's talk in December, right? But carry on reasonable conversations in this time of year is crucial. Because did you know, as people express their opinions on who they want to vote for, and as people express their opinions on the issues that are important to them, they are giving you a window into their life. They're telling you a little bit about their story. Because all of us believe what we believe, again, for lots of different reasons. And so this time of year is a great opportunity to find out people's story. So as people state their opinions, you just ask, like, how how come you believe that? What's led you to to that conclusion? Or why would you want to support that person? Tell me a little bit about it. See, oftentimes we think they say their opinion, I say mine. But if you actually ask somebody what they think and why they think it and you listen to them, do you know how uncommon that is? It's so uncommon. But if you have reasonable conversations, it's so powerful. And this time of year, as Christ followers, we should never put, this is really important, we should never put politics over people. We should never put politics over people. It doesn't mean we have strong opinions and convictions. It doesn't mean we waver on that. But it does mean we don't use the issue to trump people and how God may want to use us as a light to them. And so that, that's very important. And number four is to step up involvement in church life. Now, this could seem a little bit like, well, why does that make sense or how does that fit? Well, as a society drifts away from God's ideals and God's best and his commandments in the scripture, the church actually has a role to play that's a light to the world. That's what Jesus said. He says, you are the light of the world. It can't be hidden. When I work in you, you illuminate. So even if a government drifts and uses its power in a way that's not pleasing to God, the church still has a role to be a light to the culture and the society. And that's why we seek its good. And so as a church, one of the ways is as you step up or you maintain your involvement in church life, you're, you're supporting the community that God has placed here. 
And the community is what is so powerful because when we're isolated and we're alone and we're trying to live life, even if we're trying to please God, but when we're by ourselves, we, we really lack the encouragement. We lack the challenge. We lack so much because we're just we're by ourselves. But when God puts us together with others in his church, there's a tremendous amount of good that we can do in the society in which he's put us. And not only that, we can paint this picture, this beautiful lit picture of how God wants people to live. And that can come across as judgmental. That can come across as who gives Christians the right, but we're mainly merely just trying to live the life that God's called us to live and stay true to him and his word. And as he does that, it can provide hope for people. It can be a guide to people. And that's how God uses the church. And then the fifth, the last but certainly not least, is we, we can pray for our leaders. And there's some passages on those, on those points that you can look up on your own. But I want to read this passage from 1 Timothy because we mentioned it last week. It says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, thanksgiving sorry, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So it goes back to the thing of we we don't disengage and we don't shrink back. In fact, we pray for the leaders of our country. In fact, we pray for everyone that we interact with in our life. So if nothing else, the election season can increase your prayer life. And that's what God wants to do. It may seem like your stress is increasing. It may may seem like just your, your fear is increasing. But what God wants to do is take that and encourage you to turn back to him. And as you pray for the the princes and the leaders, whoever is in power in whichever country that you find yourself in, this is good and it pleases God. So as a Christ follower, one of the prayers is, God, may you put the leaders that will please you in place. And even if you do not, Allow us to live in peace so we may live the life that you want us to live. And even if you do not, God, help us to still please you no matter what. So we ask God for help, but whatever happens, we still trust him. And so I want to encourage you, uh, as some next steps today, there's a, a couple on your connection card, and it's on the handout as well. But if you pull out your connection card that John had you fill out, and finish filling it out if you haven't yet. I want to wrap up and encourage you to, to take some next steps. And the first thing is ask God to show me if I need to change my attitude and approach to politics. It may be that you have the just passing through apathetic approach. And maybe God needs to kind of help you see how you can influence for good. You may have the, the United States and the kingdom of God are one. And you may be into fear because it seems like they're now drifting. So I encourage you just kind of ask God, is, is there anything in your attitude or approach that may need to change? And the second is then circle one way of influence that you can apply during the election season and, and do them. Try to pick one. If you're not sure where to start, start with prayer. You can do that on the way home from church today. And once you've done that, think through, well, what, what could be my next step? God has a tremendous purpose and role us to play here and now. And 
And I'm looking forward to seeing how God uses us in the society, in the city in which we live, to please him and to benefit others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, which as we look at just the historical events that have taken place, as you've interacted with people and as you've led them, it provides a tremendous amount of help because whatever we face right now is actually not new. People have followed you and trusted you in actually so many dire situations that we, fi- we find hope. And so God, help us to be people that are loyal to you first and then want to seek the good of the society and people around us. Uh, give us opportunities to love. Give us ways to have conversations with people that we can find out their story. And God, give us a chance to give you credit and to point to you in in what we say and what we do. And so we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.